You're listening to the Make Love to Life podcast. So let's make love to life. Today's guest is Angel Deer, a medicine man who has his center just outside of New York called The Sanctuary. And recently he interviewed me on his channel and that episode was one of the most popular ones yet. And so I figured, okay, let's uh, keep this flow alive. And how about you come on my channel this time? So I know him pretty well. He's a friend of mine. He's a former client of mine. And so obviously we've gone very deep into the topic of intimacy and, you know, self-sabotage and all of these things. And I just really respect his uh, honesty, his willingness to open and his integrity in the way that he walks his path as a medicine man. And so we chose the subject of the teacher archetype, or you can also call it the savior archetype, no? which is something that happens quite a bit, especially people who are in the field of either being a teacher or a guide or a healer of some kind. No, it's like when there's something in your professional realm requiring you to be in that position of space holding, very often these people will find themselves in a trap of doing the same in their personal relationships and in their intimate partnership, which ultimately is not very healthy, no? So it's a it's a topic worth discussing. <laughs> so please enjoy this episode with Angel Dear. I think you're really going to love it. When I invited you to this podcast, obviously I, I had to integrate the aspect of relationship. Um, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time and we know quite some ins and outs uh, regarding our pasts and certain patterns that have been present. And I remember not exactly when it was, but obviously when you and I did work together, uh, there was this, yeah, this element in you, obviously being a guide, being a teacher. Uh, and I've seen this in my own life as well. Somehow often we don't necessarily want to take that into our personal or intimate relationship, um, like with a partner um, but very often it's it's like a, an automatic thing that happens, which doesn't always allow for harmony to be there in relationship. Um, and, and I think that this is such a potent thing to talk about because, uh, you know, when I work with clients, whether they are in a position of being a teacher or not, because you can wrap the teacher archetype also in the savior archetype, no? Um, because they all kind of like fit together or the parent archetype. It's It's that role of like, I guide, I have the wisdom. Um, and it is also a role of being in control, right? Because like to be with your equal, like we have to drop some of our guard. Like now that I am in a relationship with, an, with my equal, it's like, it's just fascinating to see like when he allows me to come in with my strength and when I allow him to come in with his strength because we are very complementary and there is no competition, right? Because that's another thing that can happen when there's two powerful people coming together. So yeah, I would love to just open this door of, uh, you know, the, the, the pattern in relationship of being the teacher, especially you having your center. Like I imagine, you know, your home is the place you work. It's, it's, you naturally attract people uh, because of this anchor you have created, uh, no, the sanctuary. So I, I imagine that it's, it's a tricky fine line. So what what can you say about the teacher architect? Yeah, I mean, the land the is very large here. So my home is separated from the retreat center, which is oh, good in is. many ways. Um, but, you know, my home and part of the land is is private. 
but indeed you know um i think that yeah when you have wisdom you, you might want to share it if someone is going through trouble especially troubled times or challenges and when you are in a in a partnership uh you support each other and like you said you know it's alternative roles you know sometimes you're vulnerable and you need support and sometimes the other person is and needs support and so you you bounce between those roles of being held and holding like you might bounce you know into uh, sometimes i bounce into my feminine side and sometimes i bounce into my masculine and same for my partner um but I think for, for me, one of the things that I think uh, is true, and maybe you disagree with me, I don't know, uh, but I feel that when, if we are all constantly in this archetype of teachers and potentially going to savior, like basically we look at the other person like they really need saving. It's a love killer. It's a desire killer. It, it kills desire because we, we're not looking at someone that we admire or that we feel is a shining being. We're, we're looking at someone that I don't want to say inferior, but somehow doesn't bring something that we are always constantly saving. And I, I think mean, I, that I really agree with you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause like what I saw in myself, cause this was a, and really was no, cause right now I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. In the most aligned empowering relationship I could imagine but in the past, it was it was weird because it's like, it's the power position, right? So to somehow be the more powerful one. Even though I've dated powerful men, there was something in the nuance that would, yeah, help me remain there, right? So to be there or to, in whatever way. So you're right. Somehow we pick, no? Because it's really a choice, whether it's subconscious or unconscious even. It's like we pick someone who's inferior so why do you think you did that in the past and what if if it has changed i mean i'm assuming it has because uh, yeah what you've shared about your new relationship um sounds really beautiful um like yeah what was that in the past because obviously you came with intentions in the past as well uh wanting to harmonize wanting to encourage uh you know your ex-partners to to be uplifted the same way that i encouraged the men i was with to to meet me eye level and for both of us to be open and to make that dance between our feminine and masculine and all of that like the intention is always there but somehow we do choose to be in the power position and be in control even though we long for our equal right like what do you think yeah. this is all about in your own personal life and where have you seen the transition well, I think there's a few elements that are really key there. The first one is um, if I am going to be with a powerful partner that can really step up and all of that, it means that, you know, I'm going to have to allow myself to be held, to get to a place where sometime I show myself where I don't maybe can figure it out or I need some holding or support. So it's much more vulnerable. I think also because of the classic archetype that we see from the masculine and the feminine, and maybe a cultural way of seeing it, that for men, sometimes it might be more difficult to be with what we call powerful women or strong women, you know, that don't back down, that have an opinion and that hold it. It can feel threatening culturally. 
what does it say about my masculinity? You know, where is the masculine when it is, you know, facing a very strong feminine? If we don't do work on what the, um, the healed masculine or the empowered masculine or the sacred masculine is, it can feel threatened. For sure, the wounded masculine is going to feel very threatened there because he might have to cry, he might have to be seen, he might have to be held. So I think in my challenge, you know, one of the things I saw is that, oh, you maybe challenge my view of what I've experienced in a relationship, not just in my own relationship, but as example of relationship in my family, you know, yeah. my parents, my grandparents, who is holding the traditional roles and things like that. And I remember, you know, we were working together, doing some sessions. And one day you asked me to, I think it was at the end of the session, and said, I want you to sit with this question. What, what's preventing you from being with a woman that's fully empowered, that you don't need to save? And I was like, I don't think there's anything. I was like, oh, no, that's what I want. And then I kind of sat with it and I was like, oh, bummer. Yeah, there is stuff there. There is stuff there. And despite a deep desire to be vulnerable and to do my best to really communicate on my feelings and probably also what my, you know, any previous partner wanted for me to be there, there was still some resistance to access there because my trauma in the background was telling me that if I open completely, if I'm completely vulnerable, it's not safe. Because then I'm going to show fully where I can be hurt. Mm -hmm. and because of my history, you know, of with trauma, I was like, oh, there was a time, a long time in my life where I was in a place where I could not control what was happening. I was taking advantage of, I suffered and never again am I going to be there. So I'm going always to hold my guard and to always keep some control because losing control means death, means great danger. So I have a personal story, obviously, that's running in the background. And I don't think those things are never fully gone or healed. They're always on the lookout, you know. So I'm very, very aware of that. And I can see when the patterns come in, where there is a tendency to go back there. Because somehow, you know, we always say trauma is an echo of the past. It's not already happening. It's, it's an echo from the past that's still resonating today. And that's telling me that somehow here, there's a threat. Even if yeah. my partner is never going to physically abuse me, for example, but maybe if I have an experience of physical abuse, I might think that mm, that starts to look like the premise of where it yeah. went in the past. And so that's still happening. But the thing is, and I need to catch myself and I also need to communicate properly. And I think that's also the change here is that to let my partner aware that in that situation, is that happen? Let's say we have an argument and for example, you raise your voice. My tendency is going to be shut down to close like an oyster and become a stone. And basically, I don't feel my feeling anymore. My body go into that state of, you know, numbing. Uh, which is classic for a trauma response. And in the past, obviously, I don't know once we are dysregulated, it's very hard to regulate ourselves until the person that's there and creating the dysregulation 
or activating the dysregulation, they're not recreating it. Uh, maybe bring a tool and say, well, in that moment, I need you to do that. And if you do that, I can come out of it. So that's a big change to be able to say, well, I've seen that happen. That's going to happen again. That happened over and over again. My mechanism, my safety mechanism, that the red light that's going to slide up, that's how it light up for me. But here are the buttons you can press. Here is the little thing you can do to help me come back and turn that red light off and re-engage. Because ultimately, I want to stay engaged. Ultimately, yeah. I do not want to separate. I do not want to, to shut down. I want to stay connected to you and I want to heal. I want to grow there. Yeah. But yeah, that require a lot of vulnerability, you know, that require, uh, and I guess safety, uh, which is not always present in every many relationship of people, you know, there's not enough safety to feel like, can we go there together? Right. But it's, it's a balance that is required, right? Because very often, um, I would say standard type of couples, um, I call them, they live forever, happily, uh, no, unhappily ever after. <laughs> it's like they, <laughs> they create so much security that actually it's lacking authenticity. And what is authenticity? It's freedom. So it's, it's kind of like, how do we get that balance? Because there is a mystery to love that cannot be captivated. And the moment we build these walls of security and safety, then we're also missing the point. And I think you're right. Like there are certain either ancestral memories or um, memories of our past or whatever imprints we've, we've gained through our life experience. It's like, they will be there. You no, know? like I, I see it in my own relationship as well, but very much from the beginning. And, and I guess in, in my case and probably in your case as well, the beauty is that I, I am with another teacher, you no, know? like, and we both have done so much work on ourselves and with other people, uh, knowing how to guide others and, and be that space holder, basically, that we can also offer that to each other. And the reason I say it like that is because somehow it does require uh, us to not take things personally, especially in a moment where we know there's some kind of trauma response. I know that trauma response sounds really um, heavy, but it can literally come either through severe abuse or through having lost um, a love, no, like a relationship that we thought was going to last. Just having had that experience, which I know all of us have had, can cause for certain projections, no, like the projection of like, oh, he may not stay, or oh, uh, she might run off with someone else, or oh, uh, that person, even though they say beautiful words, maybe in a couple of years from now they may not mean it anymore, or whatever, no. There's like these flashes, and sometimes. The projections um, are launched into the present moment and we direct that sense, like you say, like that threat. Now, I remember in the beginning of my relationship, I, I brought up this thing of projection. No, I said, like, we have to allow projection because if we don't, we're suppressing the, the echo, as you say. I, I use the same word. I love the word echo because it's really that sort of, yeah, that resonance that comes out of nowhere. But the experience is as if it like the way that we have been feeling it either for years or our entire life, right? And it's that echo where suddenly the environment changes completely. The sense, the sensory response to what is happening in reality is so real that it's hard to stay connected. And I do believe that, you know, whatever spiritual practice we do, 
even if it's dance, if dance is the thing that brings you into more bodily awareness or more mental awareness, or sometimes for me, running is like a better meditation than sitting still, but we have to do some kind of practice to become more aware and really train ourselves because I've had experiences, like, especially in the beginning of my relationship where I could feel uh, some kind of trauma response and I was shutting down completely. But in the midst of shutting down, I was able to say <laughs> that I was shutting down and I didn't know how to get out of it. So somehow there was an aware, it's weird. It's like, we can have the awareness of being numb. We can have the awareness of the heart shutting down and still feel like there's a wanting to connect, but not being able to do that. And if you're done with a partner, because that's the vulnerability you're talking about, right? It's like dropping that guard, even when the guard, all the guard wants is to, you know, stand strong and have that protection mechanism that has somehow served us in the past, perhaps when we were children. And anyway, in these moments when the partner is shutting down, it requires the other one to not take things personally mm -hmm. and to almost with curiosity, explore that projection. It's like, okay, here you are feeling threatened. Um, and the sensation can really be as though your life is being threatened. Like you say, like there's some kind of death and it's the death of that uh, protection shield. It's the death of um, this pattern, even though it was uncomfortable, it, it is the comfort because it's the known. So th there is literally a death in whatever is happening. And so for the partner to then just hold space and ask questions to dive deeper into, like I said, with curiosity, like, what is this? What is this about? How can we explore this and just be there? Because yeah, in my what case, do you need, you know, what do you need? Because yeah. I think the, the savior complex and the issue always a teacher thing is might be to come. I mean, it's not how I teach, but you know, sometimes we see a teacher ask, I'm going to give you an answer. No, I say, I'm going to give you another question. Yeah. I know you're asking that, but what about asking that and reflect on that? Because when we are in those places, we don't really, I mean, if we're still in the victim role and not done a lot of work on our traumas, we might still want to be saved. But for me, I don't want to be saved anymore. But I want you to hold a space that allowed me to discover new resources, inner resources that I don't know, and guide me and hold that space and still stay connected, still love me there, still, even if I said something horrible, or something that um you know that feels difficult, like you say that you know it's not personal. It's an old voice that's speaking right now, and I know where it can go, but I want it to go somewhere else. So, how do you help me figure it out by myself? Because then, when you hold space for someone that way, you're not their teacher. You're their partner. You know you're equal there because you know that can happen the other way around. And there's something quite extraordinary and sexy, I think. Maybe I'm too fascinated by trauma to see someone entangling it. And they're like, oh, wow, that happened. You know what? Something clicked. And you just mm -hmm. feel their power rising. You just feel their energy flowing in their body. You know, And that creates the polarity. That creates the desire. That keeps the connection alive. Uh, yeah. But because anyway, at the end of the day, I don't think you can save anybody because you can temporarily maybe, you know, hold their hands, but you're not going to save them. It's a work that we have to do on our own here. So the teacher thing in, in relationship is, is doom. <laughs> you know, it yeah. will, it will fail because uh, the person is going to rely on you 
and basically won't be able to do the deep work at some point. You're blocking them. So you're even stealing their power in many yeah. ways. You're not really being a good partner or a good lover in many ways. You know, there's something a little bit imbalanced there in the in the relationship. Because yeah. the balance, what I wanted to weave into what you just said, what I see for myself, and, and I kind of already started training myself with past relationships. I know this sounds maybe a little bit weird, but like, it was a strong pattern of mine. So like hypothetically, there was a relationship, not hypothetically, there was a relationship in my past where I literally lost myself. No, like I came out of that relationship feeling completely depleted because I put so much of my energy into um, empowering them, like to the point where I was overstepping my own boundaries. And so I started training myself to see like, how can I empower someone? Um, so of course I, I have many resources and tools and lots of wisdom because of my life experience, but it's really the nuance. It's almost like a child, right? How do you approach a child? Cause sometimes you need to help a child and teach him like, oh yeah, this is how you climb a tree. But sometimes you just have to let him climb a tree and perhaps fall out of it to learn how to do it. So it's either to be there to hold space the way that you just shared or it's to grant the space for them to um, maybe fuck up a little bit, because sometimes that's empowering. And, and I think I'm, I'm mostly saying this from uh, the, the female perspective, uh, saying it to women specifically, because sometimes being there for your partner too much is emasculating, right? And for the man to be open to receive the guidance of a woman, I mean, I'm saying this because there's been imbalances and, and these kind of dynamics in my past, not, not in all relationships, but it's, it's, it's sensitive. Right. Um, and with my man now, it's like, it's, uh, I mean, he knows so well how to, um, in a playful way, uh, tickle my masculine. If my masculine comes out too strong, you know, like he's so good at it. Like I've never met anyone who can give me a little push in the moment I need a little push or who can meet me with that resistance. Like, I remember I even told him when, you know, I was still in Peru, he was in Thailand. Um, I told him that there's something about uh, stubbornness that I need to have present in my relationship. And he'd never heard anyone say that they want someone to be stubborn, but it's, it's that thing of like, yeah, you can come with your suggestions, you can come with your guidance, but there's, there's like, um, yeah, there's, you need to be met by a strong opinion. Like you, you don't have to like swallow everything that the partner pre-choose. And I think it's up to conscious partners to know, like I said, the difference between really being there, nourishing, creating that safety, um, you know, yeah, offering the need, the needs to be met. And then sometimes also to back off and say, I trust you so much. I know you got this and you have my undivided, un, what's the word? Unconditional support. Uh, and I'm here as a loving presence and I'm just going to be present, right? Yeah, I think we are also afraid sometimes to to voice an opinion because it might be very different from the other partner. And we have a fear maybe of losing love or being judged or maybe to go into confrontation. You know, if we, many people are afraid of confrontation and we want to keep things, you know, kind of tamed down, you know, but not the confrontation where, well, I'm right and you're wrong. But like, no, there is two opinions here and let's, you know, let's really go down the rabbit hole together. Let's, how do we stay connected with maybe two different beliefs on something and kind of learn from each other here? 
you know, and that requires some skills because sometimes we just say, oh, I just won't say anything. I disagree. I want to keep the peace. But I think in, in sacred partnership, in authentic partnership, you know, we need to be able to say, well, let me step in here. And I really disagree with that. I'm going to tell you my opinion, but we're on the same team. It's important to remember that you and I, we're on the same team here. I understand we disagree, but I'm not stepping out on the other side of the field. We're not fighting each other. We are on the same team and we're talking about a strategy together uh, to get somewhere together as, a, as partners. You know, and I think very often that missing in relationship where it's like there's just two teams. You know, one wants to win uh, and both wants to win. And, and that's not creating any safety. Then obviously confrontation is very unsafe. You know, then obviously authenticity and vulnerability has little space if there is no possibility of arguments that is between two adults. And in the world we're living in, because it's so polarized sometimes, you know, everybody has an opinion on everything, that we lose track of that. Somehow we feel like, well, if you are from that political party and I'm from this one, somehow we cannot relate. Or if you have that opinion on the COVID vaccine and I have this different opinion, I can talk to you. I can be friend with you somehow. And that's trauma. When we, when we act that way, you know, it's like literally something that it's so scary that I cannot relate to you anymore because we have an opinion that's different. Let's on the vaccine because it's, you know, of our time right now. And it's kind of insane when you think of it, because maybe there's a million things we can agree on that are probably way more important about how we want our lives and many other things. And I think mm -hmm. those places of confrontation, for me, they are really important to solidify the partnership much more than the place we agree. You know, because the place we agree, there's, I mean, there's, there's nothing there, you know, it's like, I always say, it's like, if you love your dogs, that's great, but everybody loves dogs, you know, and the dogs loves you anyway, but can you love exactly. your mother? Can you love your father, even See? if he's not been the nice person? So that's where the work is. That's where it's going to require really skill sets, like human skill sets. So can we disagree even on the future of this partnership? and still stay connected, still somehow be good to each other, respect each other, carry love for each other, but maybe acknowledge that we're not meant to be together, for example. And so many people go out of relationships sometimes. And, you know, I've done that too, you know, where we go into an explosion and there's a lot of anger and, and many things because so many things pile up. So yeah. many conflicts were unresolved. So many power was taken away or stolen from the other. Our person. dynamics, yeah. And then like, you know, the, the we were never on the same team, so we separate. There's no chance we're going to be on the same team. You know, it's like this yeah. is game over from day one. We were never playing on the same field together. Yeah, this is what I was going to reply to, like what you said about team. I th I think that this is so not understood um, in so many cases even functional relationships of certain people I know, I, I feel like there's an underlying, uh, we're on two teams living together. Mm -hmm. And it's it's fascinating how that 
adds to a conflict that could just be a discussion, but becomes a conflict. Um, Because like true wisdom, I once wrote an article of like, I don't know, the 10 lessons I learned from the marriage of my parents. And that was one of them to, to agree to disagree. My parents are really good at that. And actually regarding COVID, they're the exact opposites. <laughs> my mother is stressed out. My father thinks it's bullshit. <laughs> but they're happily married, no? So like that's wisdom. And um, mm. yeah, I, I feel like uh, as like I've had some incredible relationships in the past. I mean, I've had terrible relationships as well, but I've also had incredible relationships of which, you know, with a couple of men who I, I do actually consider them some of my best friends because we know each other so well. Somehow it didn't last. Um, but where I am now with Ruan, I feel like I'm learning things that I couldn't even touch in the past. And so this whole idea, even though I, I thought I was being a teen in my past, I, I honestly have to admit that this is the first relationship where I'm actually embodying this understanding of like wow we're truly a team and like there's truly this like complementary aspect of the way that we you know for example Ruan and I very much in the beginning of our relationship um, got a fixer-upper house so when you're repairing and choosing colors and needing to buy literally everything from the tiniest little detail to make home it really shows like, how are you as a team? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you fight about things that really don't matter? And it's just incredible to see like how we've managed. And then since two days, we have two puppies. And so I told you before we started, we've been getting up at night a lot because they needed to go to the toilet. And it's like this little hint of showing how much of a team we are, where we support each other in, in certain ways to just encourage each other um, and empower each other as opposed to showing oh I did this and you didn't do that it's like no I I make the bed he takes out the trash and we don't even talk about it it just naturally happens I mean this is like a big um, example because there's much deeper examples that make me feel um, yeah just really amazed by what it actually means to be a team and it Mm. comes out when there are these discussions of disagreements that don't need to last. They actually just flow through us. Um, like we've never had a fight that lasted. We just had disagreements, which I don't even remember what the last one was because it's all part of the flow. The negative emotion, the positive emotion, the 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 challenge, the highs, the lows, it's life. Like if we are expecting us to be, um, you know, sunshine and rainbow all the time, that's when we start to resist life basically. And that's when conflict exists. But what you said about this accumulation no, of unresolved issues in relationship that will basically lead to an ending of the relationship, that I would say is when we aim too much for that sense of security and lack the freedom to actually confront the other with like, this is where I am fearful of, like you say, losing love, no? which I think is the essence of all intimacy issues. And yesterday I posted something on Instagram. I think I asked the question, what does it require uh, to feel free within commitment? And someone answered uh, saying something amongst the lines of to flirt with the losing of love, something like this, something of like this flirt, flirtatious way of understanding that you have love, but you can't capture it. And so another friend of mine used to say, uh, what is it? Like uh, life is about feeling the pain and loving anyway, 
or opening the heart anyway, like feeling the pain and opening the heart anyway. Because it's like, they, yeah, there's always a notion of perhaps the love of my life. I mean, death is part of life. So it's like, eventually there will be a loss and we know it. And sometimes there's such a deep imprint in our bones, perhaps, that we're so afraid that at old age, death may occur. And fuck, I can't even imagine how much love I will have for my partner when we're old and wrinkled. And, you know, our grandparents is like, fuck, it must be so scary to then lose your life partner. But I'm willing to keep opening the heart to to also learn what that means. No, like that's truly love. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate relationship because we're too afraid of the pain and therefore we stop opening our hearts. And then we complain that there's not enough love or we, you know, fixate too much on the things that need to be fixed rather than opening and surrendering, which is the most scary thing or actually stepping into that team vibration that you talk about. Oh, we want love, but we're hurting the other person. That's a way to somehow we, we're punishing them because we can't really feel it or we don't receiving enough. So we want to receive more, but we do think that on the opposite. We jump teams, you know. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's, I always remember, you know, for me, it's like always a good guidance. Uh, the first principle in Buddhism, which is do no harm, do no harm, you know, uh, be kind, or at least if you can be kind, do no harm. You know, that's another way of saying it because sometimes you can be kind. Sometimes you're entangled in your stuff. So it's like in the conflict area, you know, in that relationship where we are going to meet people with different opinions, you know, with ourselves. Sometimes we have sometimes two very different views, or we change our mind. We look, I look at myself today and the first subject we touch upon, you know, and and I had a very different opinion five years ago. So we are already, you know, someone or people with sometimes conflict, inner conflict, things that can't yeah. really reconcile. Part of me that sometimes are maybe very soft and kind, and part of me sometimes that are just harder and not as kind. And and here I'm meeting another person that also dealing with the same internal, you know, problems like every human beings. So recognizing that we are in front of a multifaceted human being, which I find fascinating. You know, I'm always fascinated to be with someone for a long time. And one day just look at them. It's like, oh my God, I've never seen that in that person. That, that I just discovered, you know, someone else there. Even their face can look different. You know, you look at them in the eyes and in that moment, it could be in lovemaking or it could be a moment that you look at them and there's just someone else there just another facet of them. And that's fascinating. So in fact, when we're fighting for two beliefs, we just, it's just two parts that are fighting. It's not already the two full beings. It's one little angry child on one side and another little angry child on the other side, but it's not really the whole person fighting. And I think if we can see that, like, oh yeah, this is my grumpy 10-year-old. Oh, this is my, you know, angry 17-year-old. Oh, this is my very scared one-year-old. And recognizing that there is a lot of parts at play for me in conflict resolution, and especially discussing with my partner how to approach that, I need to be reminded of that sometime. I say, listen, this is not really all of you right now, but which part is there? You know, how old is that? You know, how long has this been going for? And then, you know, I can find, because then I get detached from it. I can look at it. 
Because if I'm in it completely, if I think I'm this one-year-old scared baby because I'd experienced that pain when I was one, I'm going to be overwhelmed by it and I have no way to look at it. But say, oh yeah, this, what is that? That reacting that is so strong on its opinion on that or feel so threatened in that moment or felt so unsafe. And that one-year-old might always feel always unsafe. But if I can tap in my other inner resources, if I can tap into other part of me, then the conflict is not really heads-on. It's just an opinion of two different parts. And we can probably bring humor and even laugh at it at some point, how ridiculous it was, you know, and then take care of it. Because that one-year-old yeah. need, need care. You know, if my one-year-old get triggers a lot, I need to take care of it. And that's my job. It's not my partner's job to parents, to mother, or to reparent that yeah. little one-year-old. It's not even the job yeah. of my mother anymore. You know, it's, it's really yeah. my job, you know. Exactamente. To round up, I want to go back to that question that you said I asked you when we were doing work together. And there was a session where I wanted you to contemplate, like, what is preventing you at the time to actually be in a relationship with an empowered woman and therefore let go of the teacher archetype and these power dynamics? Like, what was that answer? Like, what, what was the resistance to allowing uh, a harmonious relationship to appear? I think the thing that was really in the way, and I don't know if I completely, you know, wrapped it up, uh, but I think what was coming out was really um, to be able to be completely seen, even with the things that maybe I'm still ashamed of, the painful part of me, things that are not fully resolved, you know, that maybe I'm not even consciously aware that are not fully resolved but it's like it requires such a level of vulnerability and the spots to be seen and they've probably been hidden for maybe my whole life some of them were created when i was very little uh and the protector in front of the spots is like never again never again you're going to feel that pain And so to open that door to someone in a relationship is very scary. So it's much easier to be with someone that we have to focus on their stuff than on your own stuff. Because then there is, you know, then it's that part is like not activated. It's like, well, I'm so hidden here. No risk. But by doing that, I'm stuck. I prevent myself from yes. healing these parts. And that's going to come up in a relationship anyway. Anyway, yes. because the relationship are such strong mirrors that at some point within six months, a year, two years, or three years, that's going to be a big deal. So that idea that somehow I'm going to be safe by doing that is an old story that's not true anymore. It's not true anymore because it, do, it doesn't work. It didn't work at the time. It was created post-trauma to protect me from it in case it happened again. But obviously nothing's going to happen again like when I was one year old. I mean, I'm, I'm in, you know, in a different body, in a different life with a different person. 
So I need, it needs to really like, like, well, I don't want to carry that. And I don't want to experience uh, my life through those lenses. I don't want to shrink myself and have part of me that are unloved because anyway, I'm never going to feel loved by my partner. Is there's a part of me that I don't love, that I'm protecting. However she loves me, however she cares for me, I'm never going to be fully seen. I'm never going to fully think that she sees me fully because I'm not showing myself fully. So it's like a dog, a puppy chasing yeah. its tail and unable to catch it. It's just like this. It's going to be this infinite thing and I, and I can't break. And only me can do it because I'm the one yeah. guarding it. So only me one day say, you know what? Let's take that risk. Let, let's show that. Let's be with someone that can really call out my BS maybe when it comes out that can really make me accountable. I said, listen, this is not my stuff. This is something you need to look at, you know, and I'm okay to hold space for you here, but I'm going to call you off. And I want you to call me off when I, when I need to be called off, you know, and then we can meet each other there. And that like, let's relax in this. Wow. Yeah, it's partner, mad. You know? yeah, it's such a together. paradox. Yeah, it's a paradox. It's, it makes such no paradox. sense from a mind perspective. If you sit with it, it's like, it's completely <laughs> stupid. It's insanity to read. To oh my that. God, you, expl you explained this so well. You explained it so well. Because like, that's the trap, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, we long for something, we prevent it. And then, because like, the word courage comes from the Latin cor, corazón. Like you have to have the courage you know, to, to, to be seen exactly the way you put it. Like I remember in my past, like I, I had a couple of relationships in my 20s where I would come out and, and one of the complaints I had was that I, I felt like I, I put in so much effort and I just wasn't recognized. Why? Because I didn't allow all of me to be seen or all of my processes to be shared. Like somehow it's, you know, going back to this team understanding, it's like I, I, there's, there's nothing I don't share with my partner. And I've had, I've had moments of resistance, trust me, <laughs> like to show more and more and more and therefore to be fully seen and loved and it's it's mad it's like you say it's like it's the scariest thing we can do because the more we open up the the, the initially you know like because after some time the foundation is built on trust and therefore there's not that shakiness anymore but when we're still building the foundation there will be these experiences where opening up seems super life-threatening and it's it's a choice like you say like you're going to open your heart, corazón, like open courage, um, or not. And it is a paradox because it makes no sense. But otherwise, like you say, we keep looping and looping and looping. Like, yeah, I know I'm kind of repeating what you said, but like you, you put it so well. Like, yeah, I love that we're ending on this note. Um, yeah, I suppose I just want to bring up because uh, I asked that same question of like, what is preventing you from being with a strong woman? I asked that same question to my partner because he interviewed me on a podcast. This was basically the podcast where we revealed our chemistry and we started flirting with each other. And this is really where the ball got rolling because we met years before that. But this is really the point where the ice broke. And in that podcast, he revealed having had basically the same pattern, no? 
being the savior of the girlfriends he was with. And in some way, that was my pattern as well, even though it started changing over the years. And so I asked him and him from his male perspective, he said, you know, the fear of not being needed. And I think that this, you know, being needed as a man by your woman, which requires the woman to open up and allow uh, the man to provide. No, it's, it's like a two-way thing. Um, and for me as a woman, it's like, yeah, I've, I've been always comfortable with my emotional expression and surrender, but I can't even explain, uh, express, you know, the, the difference in the way that I'm learning to surrender with him. That it's just, it's, it's nowhere near what I experienced in the past. And it's because of what you just explained. You no, know? it's like no more separation, no more two teams, no more, uh, one or the other, but really coming together and therefore finding that power in opening up and opening up and opening up and facing death and opening up. And mm. until that foundation of trust is established where it's just a flow of a union moving together. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to add also that sometimes stepping back a little bit, sometimes might be needed a little bit because sometimes we don't have enough resources to step in and stepping back can be just, oh, I need to step back a little bit, gather my resources, access connection and belonging within myself. So then I can return there with more resources. You know, I need also to recognize that those boundaries and those armors, they are wise. They're not here just to harm us. Mm. They are here sometimes to make us say, well, I need to withdraw a little bit because emotionally or energetically, I don't have the resources here. But that depth of intimacy that we want with the others, we need to have it with ourselves in that case. We need to know when it is time where I can have that discussion or I'm going to share about that because that's something I'm seeing and I really want to talk about it, but making sure that I can show up. Because if I'm on the edge of my resources, I'm going to very easily tip off, you know, in a dysregulated nervous system and then disconnect. And then yeah. lose the intimacy that I've been thinking. So it's a, it's a dance here, you know. Uh, yeah, in and out. You know, it's not always just forward, forward together. Sometimes yeah. it's like, hey, yeah, let's breathe there. Let's settle down and return. And, and trusting and allowing that for the partner too. Like, oh, yeah, maybe they need a little bit of space now. Because yeah. they're not doing it to separate. I need to allow that. They're doing that for finding their resource. So they return, you know together on the playing field uh, with all their wisdom, you know, with all their capacity to, to step in, you know. So they're not leaving yeah. the team. They're going on the side of the soccer field or the playing team. They're resting and then they're returning to the team. But sometimes it can be seen, oh, my God, they're going. They don't want to talk or they need time. But no, if we have an agreement, we're on the same team here. But sometimes we need to. Yeah, so one person needs to rest. One person needs to reconnect with himself. Definitely. Awesome. I love, yeah, I love your wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, yeah, discuss that I really respect and, and honor our connection. And um, yeah, the times we obviously work together and the times we spent in Peru. And thank you for, um, yeah, having invited me onto your channel. 
no, for coming thank to you mind. for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited for yeah. this discussion. There's so much to to explore. I know. <laughs> I actually feel like, oh, for sure, there will be, uh, you know, another moment in the future where yeah, I invite will. you again. Definitely yeah. will. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you. Yeah, I talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Bye. You're listening to the Make Love to Life podcast, the place where we uncover all the barriers that prevent you from experiencing deeper intimacy. If you are looking to attract love and authentic partnership, then hit the subscribe button and go to my website, nalayachakana.com, to sign up for my private group, Make Love to Life. See you there.